Okay, that's the second bell, so it's time for us to get started this evening. So, notice we have a few visitors. Glad to have you here. The theme of this course this quarter is convicting those who contradict, and we've been looking at just a number of false doctrines, and our approach to this has been to... Um, with the view of converting someone, helping someone who, who is a believer of error to come to a, an understanding of the truth. And, and how do we do that? How do we approach people who are deceived by certain errors? And uh, how do we approach them and convince them, uh, those who contradict? So this evening we begin a three-part series. I'm thankful that Trevor gave me the opportunity to speak on this. A three-part series where we're going to look at humanism, relativism, and pluralism. And you may even wonder what some of those are. Um, So that's kind of what we're going to talk about. And the reason why I I wanted to to talk about this particular topic is that more and more often as I'm talking with someone about the gospel, um, talking with someone about um, what they need to do to be saved, uh, talking to someone about the differences among uh, churches, denominations, or even differences among uh, different churches of Christ. Some of the one of the things that that comes up all the time is this concept of, well, we can't really know if that's exactly the truth or not, and and this whole idea that truth is relative, truth is relative, and that it. it well, that's your interpretation. That is, and I believe Trevor hit on this some. I missed it, but I believe he did hit on this some. As that, for really all of the things that we talked about this quarter, you're going to run into this, where that someone says, "Well, that's just your interpretation." Can't we just agree to disagree? You'll hear things like that, and I think that particularly with now some do, but many of the people I talk to, I think that they really don't understand fully that that concept. That idea that truth is relative comes directly from humanism. That's where it comes from. And my idea here in the next three lessons or so is to discuss, really tonight what we're going to focus on is humanism and how ugly and wicked and sinful humanism is. That's where we're going to start. And then from there we'll get to relativism. Relativism is one of the key tenets of humanism. And so on Sunday we'll get into relativism a little more and an approach to take, I think, with someone who is so bogged down in this idea of that's your interpretation, that's the way you see it, I see it a different way, and we both can be okay with that, and we both can be right. That that approach, that approach that we can all be right, is humanism. It is humanism at its core. And I want us to see that. So tonight we're going to focus on humanism. And I think that in discussing that with someone, if you can get them to see that that attitude is humanism and then get them to see how ugly humanism is, I think that you can have some success in converting them and moving them towards an understanding that truth is absolute, that there is an absolute God, and that there is an absolute standard for morality, for uh, how God would be worshipped and for how God would have us behave and what we need to do in order to please Him. And so that's kind of where we're going with this. And pluralism, you can just kind of tack on to that as, uh, as pluralism is a, 
a, a push that really, I don't so much think that humanism fits into that. Uh, some, uh, pluralism comes from really relativism, which comes from humanism. So it, it, you can trace the roots back. But pluralism is the idea that we must be accepting of all religions, all culturals. So multiculturalism, also all cultures. I said culturals. All cultures, we must be accepting of that, this idea of multiculturalism. So that's the idea. That's where we're going over the next three lessons. If you saw that topic and thought, now what in the world is that going to be about? That's what it's going to be about. Um, so let's look at some definitions. Humanism. I just grabbed Webster's definition. We're going to look at that in a lot more detail tonight. And I hope not to bore you in a hot classroom to the point that you go to sleep looking at humanism. But Webster defines humanism in the back. Can you see that? If you squint? Only if you squint? No. That's good? Okay. So Webster defines humanism as a philosophy that rejects supernaturalism. What do we know of that's supernatural? Right. The reason we're here tonight is supernatural, is it not? Our Creator, our Savior is supernatural. So humanism is a philosophy. So even an objective, that's supposedly an objective standard of the definition, is a philosophy that rejects supernaturalism, regards man as a natural object, and asserts the essential dignity of man and his capacity to achieve self-realization. That's a lot of gobbledygook through uh, rationalism and scientific method. So in other words, the only way that man can be happy and to um, be self-actualized or self-realized is through rationalism, things that we can rationally think about and things that we can prove through science. That's our, that's our path to enlightenment. And that's how Webster defines humanism. Relativism, we're going to get into more on Sunday and pluralism as well. Um, we're not going to spend a lot of time in the three classes on pluralism. We have plenty in these first two. Uh, but relativism is the belief that truth is relative and it varies with the situation and on who is interpreting the situation. That's what relativism is. Basically, truth's not absolute. Um, so it, it's almost one of those uh, self-defeating uh, uh, theses, isn't it? Um, so, is it absolutely true that truth isn't absolute? <laughs> you see that, that. That almost illogical to even think of relativism, right? So, it, it, it's absolutely true that truth is not absolute. So, how, you know, it, it almost defeats itself. But if you want to convert someone, it takes a little more uh, than that to, to do that. But I think that's a, a perfect place to start in terms of refuting that. And then pluralism, the acceptance of all religious paths as equally valid. And we are seeing a, or have been seeing for years in this country, a massive push in that direction where that, that really all, should say all except Christianity. All except being a Christian. All religions except the one that says God is, is the only true living God and the only way to please Him is through His Son, Jesus Christ. And the only way to know how to do that is through His revealed Word and no other way, no additions to that. Now that's not acceptable. That's not one that we want to... That's not equally valid. That's intolerant and rude and, and uh, um, unacceptable. But all others are acceptable. That's the idea of pluralism. So those are some definitions to get us started this evening. Um, so I want to talk about some misconceptions and deceptions. And I stole this right out of a sermon Bob preached oh, back in the 90s um, about humanism. It's a clever name for this religion. <laughs> clever name. It sounds like and references a lot of good words. Because when you say the word humanism, 
Doesn't kind of sound good? Humanism. Sounds kind of like the word human, doesn't it? I like humans. Don't you like humans? I, I do. I like humans. I, I like to be humane. I like to treat people nice. That's something I like to do. Uh, I like humanity. The, the good of humanity is something I'm kind of in favor of, right? So humanism, the, the name is clever because it kind of calls to mind those things. That's not what humanism is about. It, that, it is not about that. It couldn't be less about that. And they'll use these words to define their, 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 um, their tenets, their, their doctrines, their philosophies. They'll use all of these words, particularly humane. That one comes up a lot. Um, and so they want you to think that way. They're very clever in how that they've done that. But they have no problem at all using these words to deceive you into thinking that humanism is something that it's not. So humanism couldn't be less about those good things. This is what humanism is about. It's about unbelief. That's what it's about. It is about unbelief. Humanism can be traced back a long time ago. It's really only made a a dramatic push, say, since the Renaissance in the 15th century. But it can be back to maybe 600 B.C. or so. Um, And it is unbelief. That's what humanism is. At its core, unbelief. Humanism is about atheism. Not just agnosticism, though they would accept agnostics. But it is about atheism. The denial that it is possible that God exists. That is what humanism is about. It's about evolution. That is what it's about. And you'll see that in their own writings. And we're going to see that in a little bit later on. That I'm not, this is not slander. This is not a narrow minded person saying bad things about that so that you'll believe what I say. That's not what this is about. I'm going to quote their writings to show you that this evening. It's about Marxism, and it's about advancing these ideas to the entire world as quickly as possible. All of these ideas, unbelief, atheism, evolution, advance those quickly, quickly, quickly. And they have had tremendous success over the, in my lifetime even. And I know that they had already started before I was even born. But in my lifetime, even since I've been old enough to actually observe the direction of the world, the strides that the humanists have made are amazing in advancing this to the entire world. Um, and they want to get there as quickly as possible. The best description that I've ever heard of humanism is that it's atheism with a new name. It's just a different name for atheism. That is what it is. Now, the humanists will be quick to point out that all atheism is not humanism. And I'd say that there's probably some truth to that. But really, all humanism is atheism. Period. That, that, that can kind of like, you know, all... All squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares. <laughs> all humanism is atheism. And I think, again, getting back to the point we're, we're getting at this evening in, in this class is convicting those who contradict. If someone is, is steeped in some humanist philosophy, um, I think a key to doing that, because my experience is most of the people that I talk to and work with daily in this part of the country are not atheists. And they will not tolerate atheism. Now, I know some. I'm not saying there are none. But in general, atheism is not something that's looked upon favorably. And if you can convince them that the source of where they're coming from is atheism, 
I think that, that can have some success in, in helping them to see the error that they're steeped in. The core of humanism is unbelief. They can be, I mentioned that earlier, uh, 6th century B.C., though they would call it B.C.E. That's another soapbox I'll not get on. Um, but Greek philosophies, but most of the ideas of modern humanism began in Europe, notably Italy, in the 15th century. So it, you can think of humanism as, as atheism, um, as, a, um, as a rejection of religion. So back in, in the Greek philosophers, they were rejecting the pagan gods, which should have been rejected. It didn't make a lot of sense, right? But they were rejecting the, the gods of that day and questioning those gods. And a lot of those humanistic ideas originated there can anybody think of anything in Europe in the 15th century that would have caused some aversion to religion? Anything going on in the 15th century in Europe? Maybe Italy? Somebody say it? Renaissance. Yeah, the Renaissance was going on, but what might cause an aversion to religion? What, what was there in Italy in particular? The Roman Catholic Church, right? In, in that time, and their abuses. Could you see how someone, the abuses in that time would be wanting to go in the complete opposite direction of that. And so the, the ground in Europe and Italy was right in the Renaissance for these ideas of humanism. Okay? And that's where really the modern humanism that we know of today, that's really where it got its start, uh, is there in, in the Renaissance in 15th century Europe, most notably Italy. So humanism, modern humanism, what we deal with today in American society, where did it come from? There are three manifestos, the humanist manifesto, cleverly named, creatively, uh, one, two, and three. Uh, humanist manifesto, one, two, and three. 1933, um, 1973, and 2003 are when those documents were written. Um, and I'll be quoting from all three of those uh, fairly extensively this evening, just to, so that you can see... That when I say all humanism is atheism, you can see where I get that. They, they would not reject that at all. So when I say it's atheism, that's not slander, that's not misrepresentation. And also one thing I'd like to point out is to make no mistake about this. Humanism is a religion. It's a philosophy, sure, but it is a religion. And these three documents spell it out that way, as a religion. And, in fact, AmericanHumanist.org okay, AmericanHumanist.org was my reference for using that. AmericanHumanist.org You know what .org means, right? Non-profit organization, right? So they, uh, they are protected. They have been declared in this country. Humanism has been declared a religion. And, and the protections of a religion in this country. So it is indeed a religion. Okay? Uh, legally a religion. And they claim so as well. So the tenets of humanism. Again, humanism is a religion. And I know this is going to be boring to read some of these things, but I want you to see uh, that indeed it is uh, a religion. Um, so the gist here, the larger understanding of the universe, look how great men are. Like We've created a situation which requires a new statement of the means and purposes of religion. That's what humanism is about. Today we're beyond all that, those old religion things and we're ready now 
for a completely new means and purposes of religion. And to establish such a religion is a major necessity of the present. It is a responsibility which rests upon this generation. We therefore affirm the following. Sounds like to me they're wanting to set forth, and that, that's a colon, and it goes into the, a lot of the things that we're going to go into, the basic tenets of humanism. So it sounds to me like they're saying, this is a religion, we're creating a new religion, the world needs a new religion, and that's what we're setting forth are the basic tenets of that new religion, right? Their words. Is, would you agree that they're saying we want to set forth a new religion right now? All right, I, I'm putting the question out to get nods because I know it's hot and I know without fanning it would be hard to, to stay awake. So not not stretching that, they therefore affirm the following because we need to establish a religion as a major necessity and that's why we therefore affirm the following. So it's a religion. It is also atheism. Okay? This is from the Humanist Manifesto 1. Religious humanists regard the... And see again, religious humanists? Is it a religion or not? It's a religion. Okay? Religious humanists regard the universe as self-existing and not created. That's about as succinct a way as I know how to state atheism. The universe was not created. There is no creator. That's in essence what that statement says, is it not? There is no creator. Uh, humanism believes that man is a part of nature and that he has emerged as a result of a continuous process. Okay. What do you think they call that a continuous process? Continuous. Evolution. Yeah, we'll get to that just a little bit later. But that's what they call that continuous process. Okay. Humanism asserts that the nature of the universe depicted by modern science makes unacceptable... Okay. makes unacceptable any supernatural or cosmic guarantee of human values. Okay. So supernatural is unacceptable. Now here the emphasis is on values and we'll revisit this when we get to relativism and humanist ethics. But supernatural is unacceptable. Okay. That's atheism. There is no supernatural. We're convinced that the time has passed for theism. Theism, right? So what's the opposite of theism? What does that A in front mean? Not theism, right? <laughs> Atheism. So the time has passed for theism, deism, modernism, and the several varieties of new thought. Time has passed for theism. So humanism is atheism. That's from the Manifesto 1. That was written in 1933. Let's go ahead 40 years to 1973, and their position has not changed. If anything, it has strengthened. Okay. As in 1933, the document we just read from, humanists still believe that traditional theism... Now this one really got under my skin because it is saying it as clearly as it can be said. Traditional theism, especially faith in the prayer-hearing God, assumed to live and care for persons, to hear and understand their prayers, and to be able to do something about them, is an unproved and outmoded faith. Does that slap you in the face? That slaps me in the face. That is atheism. Faith in a prayer-hearing God. I have said outmoded faith. 
I have that faith. In a prayer hearing God who is able to hear and able to do something about the things I pray about. That is the God I believe in. I am completely the opposite of this, sta- of this statement. And you are too. And again, the theme of this class, I think many of the people you talk to, though they may not pray in an acceptable way, though they may not know the true God of the Bible, though they may not know the truth, they do. Many of the people you talk to, many of the doctrines we looked at last week, premillennialists, you will not find a premillennialist who does not have faith in a prayer hearing God. But you may have a premillennialist that you talk to who is as relativistic as the day is long. You may run into that. And so I think a key thing who would say, well, that's just your interpretation of Revelation. That's, you know, let me have mine and it doesn't matter. So keep that in mind. False theologies of hope and messianic ideologies substitute new dogmas for old, cannot cope with existing world realities. We find insufficient evidence for belief in the existence of a supernatural. No evidence for the existence of a supernatural. As non-theist, it's not really a word, but atheist, non-theist, means the same thing. As non-theist, we begin with humans, not God, nature, not deity. These are just different ways to say atheism. Coming straight from their own creed, if you will. They wouldn't call it a creed, but a statement of the values and beliefs that they have. While there's much that we do not know, humans are responsible for what we are or will become. No deity will save us. We must save ourselves. We must save ourselves. In other words, the crowning of it all is humans. Men. Self-actualization. Humans are the best and there is no one capable of saving us. We must save ourselves. I hear the Bible's turning because you notice Ezekiel 22 there. Does anyone know off the top of their head what that's about? The king of Tyre. You remember that? The king of Tyre. Let's turn over and read that passage. Ezekiel 22. And, and it ends, you know, that passage ends in a somewhat humorous way. Not humorous, but just, you know, the idea of the king of Tyre and how, and, and we'll not read all of that passage, and for time's sake, um, I'll, I'll kind of scan some of the important uh, parts of that. Ezekiel 22, um, beginning in verse. Um, Two, now son of man, will you judge? Will you judge the bloody city? Yes, show her all her abomination. Then say, thus says the Lord God, the city sheds blood in her midst, that the time may come she makes idols within to devile herself and so forth. Do I have this wrong? I believe that I do. And I should be... Um, 20, did I go to the wrong place? Wow. Ezekiel 28, that is where I am in Ezekiel 28. You are correct. Ezekiel 28. So that is a typographical error. Ezekiel, no wonder you didn't know what Ezekiel 22 was about. It wasn't about Tyre, was it? No way. Ezekiel 28 is about Tyre. Alright. So, um... Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, verse 2, Thus says the Lord God, because your heart is lifted up and you say, I am a God, I sit in the seat of gods, um, in the midst of the seas, 
Yet you are a man and not a God, though you set your heart as the heart of a God. And that's what humanism would encourage you to do, is to set your heart as the heart of a God. Now, they wouldn't call it a God, but by displacing God, by making humans the most important thing and making the world about humans, that is exactly what they're doing. They're setting themselves up. They're setting humans up as God. And note the, the, the end of this. Verse uh, 6. Because you have set your heart as the heart of a God, behold, therefore, I will bring strangers against you, the most terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. And uh, um, verse 17. No, that's not the one I'm looking for. <coughs> Uh, verse 18, you defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst that devoured you. I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall be no, and shall be no more forever. Um, and there's one other verse that I was looking at uh, that has jumped away from me. And I'll find it here just in a moment. I don't know if this is the verse you were looking for, but verse 9 is very interesting to me. Where that's the one. It brings up the problem of death. Yes, that's, that's the that one. Humanists have a huge problem with. That is the one. Uh, will, you, uh, will you still say before him who slays you, I am a God? And that's what I wanted to get at. Will you still say to, to before him who slays you, I am a God? Right. The idea of puffing ourselves up, and you're right, humanists have a huge problem with death. That, that's a... That is a, a problem, a very serious problem for the humans. Um, that death is, and that there is no answer for that. Pete? I have a question from the manifesto. Uh huh. If there is no creator and we're not created, what is he saving himself from? He would be, the suggestion would be, you're right. What would we be saving ourselves from? That's a good question. I think that's a valid question. Uh, but the idea would be saving ourselves from the problems of the world. Because that's all that matters. And I think in the context of that document, that is what they're getting at. Saving ourselves from the, the problems that, that exist in the world. Yeah. Uh, saving ourselves from, from war, from you know, uh, abuses of power, those kinds of things. That salvation doesn't come from, from God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's one approach many take, isn't it? You know, one, one reason why they're so aggressive is they also think they're saving themselves from us. And they look at us as Christians as being the enemy, as the ones who are responsible for the wars and for a lot of the suffering and the sorrow that we see. So that's part of the reason why they're so militant against us. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that is uh, definitely evident in all three of the manifestos. Definitely evident. That 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 must be done away with that concept of of, uh, of Christian and the things that we stand for. Um, so that's atheism. Any questions on that? The humanist is an atheist. I didn't make that up. That comes right from them. They are atheists. All right. So humanism accepts evolution, and that's a logical step. Um, 
Again, modern science discredits such historic <coughs> concepts as the ghost and machine, the separate soul. Science affirms that the human species is an emergence from natural evolutionary forces, um, and so forth. Humans are an integral part of nature, the result of unguided evolutionary change, not the result of a divine creator. Okay? Evolution is a... If you want to be a humanist, you must accept evolution. Period. And when you, we're going to see why on this slide. Atheism was extremely rare. Look it up in an encyclopedia. Almost no one claimed to be an atheist before the late 1700s. You almost, there was just nothing, you, almost no word for atheism before that, before the 1700s. I mean, very, you might hear some ideas of it, but really there was no word like atheism until the 1700s. And the first, the first scientific writings that set forth evolution were written in the mid to late 1700s. Do you see that? So the problem is that if someone claims to be an atheist, he's got a problem. How did we get here? How did this get here? How the world we create? How did that happen? And how did man, you know, get this intelligence and this, you know, how is man so different? From the rest of the of the of the creation, if you will. So those who were already unbelievers. Now I didn't say unbelief was unheard of until the 1700s. Unbelief goes way back to Genesis, does it not? Unbelief is the root of all sin. Okay. So unbelief was there. So you had unbelievers who who had these scientific writings, and they had a way to explain. Life without God. That's what they had. Up until the 1700s, even if it were paganist, polytheistic, just absolute nonsense, there was some explanation that involved God. But, but now, with science, we have science explaining it. Okay? Now, we'll not get into how that science does not explain that. that because you, you guys know the fundamental premise of evolution is spontaneous generation. I remember the first biology book I ever read debunked the idea of spontaneous generation. That people used to believe spontaneous generation, but it doesn't happen. There's no such thing as spontaneous generation. It just doesn't happen. You don't put a string in a barrel and get a snake. It doesn't work that way, right? Mystics might have believed that years ago, but we know better now, right? So, it Evolution is purely based on spontaneous generation. Let me make a point. Sure. There was a, a book called Implications of Evolution written by a, uh, an evolutionist named Perkett. And uh, among the uh, implications of evolution was, number one, spontaneous generation did occur. Second one, it occurred only once. <laughs> oh, it occurred only once. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> How, how do they answer the question if someone were to ask it, and surely someone has, how did, uh, did um, man or people, the human race, get the ability to reproduce itself uh, while it was evolving? Yeah, I think that's, uh, uh, I think that's a, a legitimate scientific question, right? If you, if you think of... And, and, like it all started, the spontaneous gener generation that happened once with an amoeba. 
Well, amoebas reproduce by dividing, right? So you've got that. That's a great biological question, and I honestly don't know uh, the answer to that. Um, I really don't. So how did it go from you know asexual reproduction to sexual reproduction? I have no idea how they bridge that gap. I really don't. Maybe someone who's more versed in biology could help with that. But yeah, that's certainly a, a problem uh, with the theory of evolution, for sure. Um, you would think that uh, these um, these living creatures that have evolved from something else, they live for a time and then they die. Mm-hmm. Uh, then uh, they, during that time, they were not able to, their reproductive system was not able to evolve. Right. Because it takes, it doesn't happen in uh, a decade. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't happen in uh, a generation. In a single lifetime. Yeah, yeah. It, it happens, uh, supposedly, over millions of years. Yeah. So, uh, you know, as they, you know, they, they live for a while and they die, they'd have to start over again or not. Yeah. Okay. One of their answers is, we don't know what the first life was like. That's what they usually will go back to. They don't know how life started themselves, mm-hmm. even though they postulate this theory as though it was absolute fact. Right, right. They will say, because people have done studies to show, well, that even the simplest life is so incredibly complex. The odds are so incredibly just astronomical, beyond comprehension, that it, that the conditions could have produced a organism to have those characteristics even by chance. Mm-hmm. Plus you still have the problem of having it such that it can reproduce itself. But even beyond that what they'll say is, well we don't know what it looked like. Therefore yeah. that's their answer. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it had to have been much simpler. Yeah. So they don't have any answers. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, those are, are key and I think these are this is all good dialogue in, in you know the problems with the theory of evolution that they're they're Legion, <laughs> they are legion. The problems with the theory of evolution, but uh, the reason why it is so uh, quickly embraced is that they have, uh, you know, they are able to, they're able in some way to explain certain things and to show that indeed life forms do change, and so they postulate this this huge theory and make large assumptions going backwards and inserting. Um, needless and unprovable age to the earth to, to make their, uh, their theory true. And since there are bona fide scientists who accept this theory, then unbelievers have something they can cling on and cling on to it they have done. So when you get down to it, <coughs> evolution is about unbelief. That's what it's about. And it is about enabling unbelief. That's what evolution is about. And, and it's about really nothing else. Other than enabling unbelief, sure takes a lot of faith to believe in unbelief. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it does. It really does. Aaron, mm-hmm. before you leave, I was going to mention that I, we're seeing more and more where they recognize there's a problem with you know how did life come into existence, and one of the the thoughts that's gaining ground is the idea that life came from outer space. Mm-hmm. You know, by some meteorite or mm-hmm. some, you know, somehow it hitchhiked to basically here. And, you know, the exact mechanism is obviously unknown, but so you're seeing more and more that that's the idea that life came from outer space and consequently you see this push for, you know, well, let's, let's find it. Let's, let's find the source. Let's, yeah. find, let's go to Mars. Let's go to wherever and, and find where we came from. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of, of a story I believe Justin told me uh, a while back about 
you know, the, the, the scientists dueling with God about creating life. And, uh, you know, God created man from dust, right? And the scientist begins to try to do that from dust. And God's answer is, get your own dirt, right? <laughs> get your own dirt. You, you, <laughs> I made that dirt. You get your own dirt. And so it's ultimately, where did it, where did it come from, right? Uh, so that's... Uh, um, that's certainly a problem with, with all that. And I've got some slides a little later. And, and on Sunday, I'd like to talk some more about the plausibility of God. And, and, and I think there are, there are a number of, of proofs for that. Mm-hmm. One more comment. Sure, sure. No, 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 you're fine. If they were able to go to outer space to some planet, maybe some planet that hasn't even been discovered yet, and find the origin of life, who originated there? That's, I think that's the, the crux of the matter. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's the, the, the crux of the argument is the origin, right? The, the origin. There, there's no evidence that the universe is infinite in terms of it's always been here. There's no evidence of that. No. Yeah. What could you accept as a starting point? You're going to believe the Bible and they are not... If you go and talk to a person like this, where did you start from? So Sunday, I think I've got some some things to talk about about the, but I think there's there's a, a set now again. Some people are going to fall in the category of Romans one, you know, where that they, they, the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen, but they refuse to recognize that, and God has given them up. You're going to run into that. But I also think that there are people who have been deceived. And, and ours is not to judge, but to carry on dialogue. But you're right. There comes a point where you uh, use the, the biblical figure, shake the dust off your feet. But I think the, the you know, cosmological proof, which is what we've been talking some about, is certainly, you know, I think a reasonable person, if you plant that seed, they're going to think about that some more. Justin? I was just going to say, with science coming at us, too, we see more and more. They bring up complex questions that, you know, they are hard to answer. Mm-hmm. They say can use them, so we have to think, as Paul said to the Galatians, just to, you know, if we hear any other gospel, if they do find anything, or especially with like cloning and stuff, I yeah, think yeah. that what can they can do, we're, we're going to be surprised by. But yeah, yeah. we still got to know it. I think that's an outstanding point in terms of, and I'm not sure that everyone heard that, but the concept of how science is going to advance, and there will be discoveries. There, there will be discoveries. And there will be increasingly complex questions that we that we will uh, indeed have to answer. But but my uh, fundamental approach has always been that when we learn something new in science, if what we learn contradicts what the Bible says, wait a little while, and we'll learn something in science. We will learn something in science that proves that that was not true originally. That we were mistaken with that. That has always been true. Um, and, and it will continue. It, it's true in archaeology. It's true in science. So I think that that's... And, and there may be complex questions, but there will not be... There will not be proof that God does not exist. There will not be that. that that's something that, that's core to my faith. There will not ever be that uh, proof that God does not exist. So yeah, I think that's a, an excellent... So moving to the next, this is this is fine though. We're we're in good shape because I was I didn't really expect to get through all these slides tonight, and and it was three topics, and pluralism only had like that much on. So we're good, we're good. Um, truth is relative. 
And I, I appreciate all the comments. The dialogue has been very good and encouraging to me. Uh, truth is relative is a tenet of humanism. So we've seen two tenets. You remember what those are so far? Just by review, good teacher should always check and see if you remember anything I've said. Two tenets so far. One is atheism, right? The second is evolution, okay? Those are two tenets of humanism. We're getting to the third, right? Truth is relative. They're tolerant of everything but theism, right? Everything, anything goes except for a belief in God. Um, to, to, to makes unacceptable any supernatural or cosmic guarantees of human values. We've seen that quote already, and that idea that ethics and truth is relative. Okay? There's no cosmic or supernatural guarantee of human values. Uh, nat- the moral values derive their source from human experience. That situational ethics is what that is. Uh, the situation determines the rightness or wrongness of a thing. And ethical values are derived from human need and interest as tested by experience. So in 1933, in 1973, and in 2003, humanists say truth is relative. All right? I want to spend a lot more time on this concept that truth is relative. So I've introduced you to the concept. One last thing, the four tenets of uh, humanism. The fourth is that man is autonomous. So when you get those four things out there, atheism, evolution... Truth is relative or relativism, and man is autonomous. Those are the four just fundamental tenets of humanism. Okay? Thank you for your attention so much.